You're listening to Age of Reason, brought to you by Frozen Frame Productions. Will we ever understand this complex genius, this visionary thinker? Will we ever get this close again? Uniting the forces of our universe. Hey everyone, and welcome to another interesting episode of Age of Reason. Today is May the 17th, 2019. Uh, I'm mainly going to be talking about an article that talks about how Republicans are obstructing the policies on climate change and why they're doing that. And it, the article is actually quite long, so I don't know, maybe it's going to take me two or three episodes to cover the whole article. But that's okay, because I take a break usually in, between July and September anyway. So this is kind of a good thing to end the season on, really. And I can then go relax in peace. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to start with uh, something I posted recently on my profile on Facebook. So I don't show this because, you know, I'm some kind of super narcissist or I think that I'm always right. Um, I show this because I think that it's a good point. And, you know, like the Apple logo, right? I mean, they were always Apple, think different. Well, I think different also, although... It's true that I find many similarities with some people who think alike, but I do have my own ideas, and so they're not quite the same. So what I posted about was this whole anti-intellectual push that we have in the U.S. right now. And it seems to me that today, for example, even the word elitist is just thrown about uh, as if it's some kind of insult. So as if it's bad to get an education. So, ah, uh, you're an elitist. Ah, uh, you go to college. This is ridiculous, but it, you have to understand, this doesn't come, of course, from college people. It comes from mostly uneducated people, people who didn't have quite the right opportunities, perhaps, in life and maybe feel jealous or something. I don't know. But, so, yeah, they just attack you like that. Oh, you go to college, you dirty elitist. So it has become a dirty word, and we have a war on in intellectualism in the U.S., absolutely. What I added here also is that we are basically normalizing stupidity and nonsense. Uh, we even promote it. Uh, you don't have to think too far. Uh, just think about music, uh, think about TV shows uh, like Honey Boo Boo, for example, or Duck Dynasty. Uh, I can name many others. Um, and we promote it. So... People like Kim Kardashian, for example, m most people know who, who she is, or Paris Hilton. But really, why? What do they contribute to humanity? What do they contribute to mankind? I don't know. And, um, you know, I also pointed out that on two shows ago, that before, long time ago, before the days of the internet, yeah, you basically had, you know, a village idiot somewhere, um, Everybody knew that village idiot and he had he was wacky and he had loony ideas but now because of the internet these loons can connect now and so they can create communities online 
if you're saying that this doesn't happen, so if you say, ah, come on, JC, you're wrong, this doesn't happen at all. If you're saying that it doesn't happen, then you are actually part of the problem because you're also normalizing the irrationality out there and you're just giving them a pass. So they, they say crazy stuff, but ah, ah, it's okay. Come on, who cares? And this attitude of I don't care is extremely toxic for the world. Um, and these people don't have a legitimate position. They just don't. They're just, you know, some loons on the internet. And the, we have to call them out for what they are. That's it. So I say this because the article today is titled uh, Don't Bother Waiting for Conservatives to Come Around on Climate Change. And I agree. There is no way you can work with Republicans these days. Uh, I mean, it depends on what, of course, but climate change, no. Healthcare, no. Uh, military, well, yeah, they sure love to make war. So that would be okay, I guess. Uh, a new report examines the climate right. It doesn't find much. U.S. conservatives, to put it mildly, are not much help on climate policy. For decades, they've denied the validity of climate change science and waged a well-funded campaign to sold out, sold out, sorry, and fear about the facts and about the people and organizations who emerged as climate advocates. Though old-fashioned denial of climate change remains popular among the hardcore base and President Trump, party elites are now beginning to squirm a bit and admit that the climate is changing. Okay, so again, this is a classic thing to say to, to get some people on board, I guess. So they say, ah, well, I guess the climate is changing, but they don't tell you why or they don't explain the real drivers behind it and the main driver is us people i a couple okay that was a while ago but i talked about how the you know the curve of population in the world is related to uh, co2 emissions or just greenhouse gas emissions and they go hand in hand so a lot of people say well come on that, that's like a malthusian uh, fantasy. He he said he wrote about it and he talked about it and it didn't come true. Well, first of all, I don't know what, what you're talking about. I don't know what didn't come true. Also, when Malthus was alive, the population of the world was nowhere near what it is today. So you have to adjust your statistics for the population that we have right now, not 200 years ago. But with a few exceptions, uh, bipartisan state bill here, a few tax credits there, Republicans have opposed all substantial climate and clean energy policy for decades. Hmm, I wonder why. Maybe it's because they're paid by the fossil fuel industry. There was a period in the late 2000s when John McCain garnered press for backing a cap-and-trade bill. But it never had many votes in his caucus and never came within a mile of getting vote, a vote on the floor. Then Barack Obama was elected, the right went into a full backlash mode, and it's been an unbroken wall of opposition since. Yeah, that's certainly true. But I will say this, though, and a lot of people don't like this because they think Obama, again, it's a kind of, you know, you live in a bubble. So you say, oh, wow, Obama was the greatest president of all time. 
Really? Was he? I pointed out on, on my show before that he had certain policies that were really against the people. He made the banks bigger. He started more wars. Uh, he bombed Syria pretty much back to the Stone Age. Um, and he was not a friend of the environment. Even though he said that he would be. He promised. Remember, if you go back on his campaign promises, he was saying that, yes, we're going to talk about climate change. We're going to address it. We're going to take, um, I don't know what word he used, but strong action. This comes from The Guardian. Barack Obama reverses campaign promise and approves offshore drilling. President allows oil and gas exploration of several coastal areas to horse trade with Republicans over climate change bills. So that's the utopia that Democrats live in. They still think that they can work with Republicans. They still believe that. And they can't. Republicans... So when it comes to important bills, for example, like healthcare and things like that, you'll notice that all the Republicans vote against Democrats. All of them, 100%. But when it comes to important bills and Democrats have to vote on it, you'll see that Democrats are very broken party. And in fact, you have some people there in the party who are basically Republicans wearing a blue hat. Uh, like Joe Manchin, for example, he's a great example of that. Mostly votes with the Republicans. So then, what's the point of you being a Democrat then? I don't understand. And it also shows that both parties are just clearly, you know, diametrically opposed. And there is no common ground because, you know, if one side is crazy, then the other side is not less crazy we should just be good and progressive and not crazy at all that would be a real opposition is there any hope of that changing is there any hope that a movement towards real climate policy could take root in the republican party that they could come up with something more serious than the farcical recent green real deal so that's not the green new deal okay just to make it clear that's the Green Real Deal. That's a proposal from the Republican side. And it's extremely diluted. Happily, this week brought us a study of those very questions from the New Models of Policy Change Program at the think tank New America and Invest America, a cross-partisan political consultancy. It is a close examination of the state of conservative environmentalism in the U.S., its groups, initiatives, funders, and prospects. It was authored by New America's Heather Her what? Hurlbert, what a name. And Elena Soris. And Invest America's Kilil Bird. Where, where did they come up with such names, I wonder? A conservative policy entrepreneur who has access to key players. Okay, so I will say just a comment here. I am absolutely against the even the very idea of having a think tank. What is that? What is a think tank? Why is it necessary? So, why is it necessary? It's because these politicians, you know, they pretend to be busy, but actually most of the time they're on the phone getting funding, which is a huge problem on its own. So instead of thinking and, you know, governing, they leave that 
to the think tanks. So they hire people to think for them. And in theory, that might sound okay, but in practice, it just doesn't work at all. And I mean, you, because again, the think tanks who are Republican, all their evidence that they come up with is really not evidence. It's kind of fake numbers, fake data. They make up things just to feed the Republicans some kind of propaganda. And the liberals do that too, by the way. Don't get me wrong, okay? Democrats also have think tanks, and it's the same thing sometimes. They, they feed something that perhaps the donors want, not what the people want, but what the Democratic donors want. And usually you'll notice that what the people want and what the donors want is really the opposite. So why is this report written? Well, it's written for and about conservative environmentalists. So it strives to keep a positive tone and offer constructive suggestions on how to engage on climate policy. But it doesn't take much reading between the lines to find a grim tale. The state of the climate right is not good. I am on record as a pessimist about constructive conservative engagement on climate change. Me too, by the way. I'm actually even bigger than that. I will say that I'm a pessimist about the Republican Party in general. Uh, lately, I don't know if you pay attention to the news at all, but they passed this horrible anti-abortion bill in Alabama. I read today that in Missouri they're doing the same, and maybe, I don't know, maybe Mississippi will follow, because these are the worst states in our country. The poorest states the worst educated states, and really, I mean, I mean, come on, it's, it's not surprising, and also extremely religious, so it's not surprising that they come up with such barbaric bills, where basically they say rape uh, because of, um, so yeah, uh, uh, a pregnancy because of a rape is acceptable, a pregnancy because of incest sex is acceptable, uh, I've heard some wacky things, like if a woman miscarries, then she can get up to 30 years in jail. What? But that's what I'm saying. That's why I have no hope in the Republican Party. Because, and I openly call them the American Taliban. That's exactly what a lot of them are. These religious fanatics and men who make decisions for the women in this case. How is that different from uh, some kind of women's rights conference in Saudi Arabia where all the members are men? How is that different? It's just one group uses the Quran and one group uses the Bible and yet it's the same bloody bullshit in, on both sides. I'm cited in the paper as a pessimist and readers, I'll be honest, nothing I read in the report makes me any more optimistic. In fact, reading it enforced my sense that there will be no serious help coming from the right anytime soon. I totally agree with that. In this post, I will lay out my reasons for thinking so in a veritable buffet of pessimism, short-term, mid-term, and long-term. It's a pretty heavy post, and that's true, that's why I said it's a very long post, so I have to cut this episode into two or three parts. So sorry guys, but for the next two, three weeks, I'm going to be doing this article. Uh, implications are not pleasant, and I hope I am wrong, 
I am not completely gloomy. I think I could be proven wrong if the left takes a more proactive approach in coming years. So again, his hope is not on the right, it's on the left. And it's true that the left needs to be very, very proactive. But it is best to be clear-eyed about the political landscape. And right now, the landscape is not friendly. So let's sail these choppy waters together. The organizations on the right attempting to advance climate solutions, there's an exhaustive list in the report, do not add up to much. They are facing a range of enormous challenges, first among them in intensely partisan environment. There is not much coordination among them and no central clearinghouse of information or planning. No one is doing what ALEC, the group pushing conservative policy at the state level, is doing for anti-climate change uh, forces, i.e. writing sample legislation and running campaigns. And the funding solution is dismal. Oh, sorry, the funding situation is dismal. There are only two significant Republican funders in the sector, Jay Faison and Trammell Crow. This community is not growing, which has led to a significant and steady deficit in funding. Given this micro-funding environment, there is little hope that there will be change in the funder community. Well, yes, I mean, come on, that, of course, because most of the funding is on the other side. It's on the side to promote fossil fuels and to keep the people confused. In fact, I will finish the show with a graph. So anyway, it will explain everything. Following Faison, the report roughly divides the groups into three approaches. The association's approach attempts to identify existing conservative identities, subgroups like veterans or Catholics, that might be persuadable on climate. None of these efforts have succeeded on any appreciable scale. I don't see, I don't understand why you have to persuade people about climate change. I really don't understand it. I mean, I get it, like if you don't study the subject at all, then at best you should say, I don't know, I don't have an opinion. Your reaction should not be, oh, I hate climate change, I hate climate change policies. But that's exactly what happens because people are irrational and lack logic skills. That's what happens. So next we have the libertarian approach. Pitches climate solutions amenable to fiscal conservatives like carbon tax and dividend systems that don't grow the size of government. Despite the boundless faith many have invested in this approach, it hasn't yielded much either. And finally, the innovation approach seeks to narrow in on climate policies that overlap with existing conservative interests, which amount, as I wrote in the post, to subsidies for fossil fuel companies for their research on how we can keep burning fossil fuels. Oh, and nuclear. So, I know a nuclear engineer. Uh, he, he worked in the Soviet Union at the time, and of course in the US. Um, he basically told me that the nuclear solution was a solution maybe 40, 50 years ago, when the next generation of nuclear power plants was presented to the government, but essentially was rejected. And so now to get traction in this field is going to be very, very difficult indeed. And besides, of course, yeah, you still have a huge risk from nuclear. It's not, of course, it's not clean energy. Uh, the, the waste, we have to put it somewhere. 
and it, it costs a lot of money to get rid of. Uh, well, it takes actually hundreds of years to decay, uh, maybe more. You have the risk of explosions, etc. So nu nuclear is, yeah, it is very powerful. It produces a lot of power, but the, the risks that go with it is just not worth it. How about, here's a crazy idea. How about, mm, I don't know, solar energy? Damn, we, we have a source of energy, right? Right in the sky. I, I wish I could name what it is. Oh, it's, it's the sun, of course. Why don't we talk about that? And yet these three approaches here, for example, don't even mention it. That's, that's pathetic. The backers of this third approach, like uh, Faison's clear path, have had some limited success. At least those Republicans who feel pressured to say something constructive now seem to be adopting their rhetoric. This is probably the path mainstream Republicans' policy will take as it backs away from denial, such as it is. Well, yeah, so right now, you know, a lot of them are in denial. You have that asshole Senator, uh, what, what's his name, Jim Inhofe, who comes to the floor and with a snowball and he says, hey, see this? Well, we have a snowball. So that's an evidence that climate change is a hoax. And then like those dummies in the Republican Party, they go, oh yeah, wow, he's so smart. It's true, I see snow, so climate change is fake. And this is the mentality of these people, okay? Stop giving them so much credit. They're not intellectual thinkers for the most part. It's unfortunate, of course. Of course it's unfortunate, it's very sad. That's that's the state we live in, but that's the that's the situation. We have to deal with it. We have to be honest about it. Stop beating around the bush. Just tell people straight what you're thinking. And there have been scattered victories for climate conservatives at the state level, but they have been idiosyncratic and highly dependent on circumstances and have yielded little in the way of long-term trust or institution building. All in all, the report concludes bluntly. We find that the current actors in the conservative environmental movement are not strong enough to make serious inroads at the national level. So that's the short term. Perhaps because it is written for conservatives, the report is oddly coy about the overall partisan landscape of climate change. But partisan status is, in fact, an almost infallible guide to where climate progress is possible. To wit, it is possible where Democrats take power. That's what happened in California, Washington, New York, Hawaii, New Mexico. Democrats took power and made progress. And when the Republicans take power, they try to bring the country back to the Dark Ages. And their voters, like, for example, in Alabama, they gladly go along with it. Where bipartisan progress is possible is just where Democrats have almost all the power but need a few Republican votes. It's Democrats who are taking action and Democratic voters who are showing the biggest spikes of concern over climate change. It is Democrats who almost unanimously support renewable energy Democrats who support carbon taxes and clean energy standards and Green New Deals and just about everything else that deals with climate change. So this paragraph just tells me a lot about the difference between the two groups of people. Yes, there are some conservatives who are 
you know, for climate change policies. Yes, there are some, of course, but not enough, not nearly enough. And that just tells me that it is true then that that one party is basically kind of crazy. And, you know, it depends on their circumstances well, perhaps economic situation, etc. Even though we know that if solar energy, for example, becomes available in bulk, of course it's going to be cheaper. It is going to, the price is going to drop. And in fact, in some states, you can already get solar, I mean, renewable energy cheaper than coal energy. So it's already happening. And there are three more, three times more jobs in renewable than uh, fossil fuel industries. So because in the coal industry, there's about 80,000 or something people working. In total, it's like 120, 130,000 or something. Uh, but re renewable is over 300,000 workers. So yeah, look, you you have to be a smart worker already. You you, you know where the future lies. So. Uh, so the final thing I'd like to cover is this, is this here. So I'm just going to move a little bit. Uh, so this is an image here. Most Americans support clean energy, but there is a big partisan divide, or I would say a big intellectual divide, and perhaps even a financial divide. Uh, it's certainly not a generational divide. I don't think that, although an argument can be made that old people vote a certain way, they don't really care because they're, they're going to be dead soon. Um, they don't have to live with the consequences. So that happens sometimes. Let's not pretend that that doesn't happen either. But okay, so you'll see that all the voters, 55% agree that in the future we should produce electricity basically 100% renewable. 16% uh, have no opinion, which I don't understand this. I don't understand how you can have no opinion really on such a big topic. And 30% um, say basically that moving to renewables is too costly and even unnecessary. So basically, yeah, a third of the people that responded to the survey said, yep, we're not going to deal with it. It's not important. A third. That just tells you a lot about the country as well. But if you look at the specific groups, so Democrats are 92% for, 8% uh, no opinion. And then the Republicans, only 27% want something, 23% don't know, and 50% oppose it. So you see where the roadblocks come from, okay? It doesn't come from the left or even from these type of, you know, centrist Democrats, really. It, the opposition comes from the right. And independents, 55% yes, 15% don't know, 30% uh, don't really... I think it's going to be a negative. So again, I'm disappointed here by the independents. I thought that, they, you know, they would be more uh, for it. Again, maybe it shows that independents are a very broken group and um, difficult to analyze, perhaps. But anyway, that just in, in a very, in a nutshell, explains the situation, I think. So that's all I wanted to cover for today, actually. So that's it. Um, like I said, it, it's probably going to be a two, maybe a three-part show. There, there's still much more to go here, and it's very interesting. So for now, that's it. Uh, I just want to remind people to please check out my book, Beyond the Obscure. It's available on Amazon. Uh, it is in a couple of book co competitions, by the way, but I'm still waiting for the results. Um, and uh, please check out my art on Redbubble. 
and I will probably see you next week. You know, if something comes up, then I will let you know. But if nothing happens, then I will see you then. So till then.